So, retrospectors, what historical events are we ticking off on this week's run of Today in History? Well, Monday is the anniversary of the day Roger first publishes famous thesaurus. Then on Tuesday, we say happy birthday, Mr. Potato Head. On Wednesday, the extraordinary stories of the child soldiers who fought in the American Civil War. On Thursday, how King James changed the word of God. And on Friday, what did spam emails look like in 1978? We discuss this and more on Today in History with the retrospectors. Ten minutes every weekday, wherever you get your podcasts. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello, man fans. Ollie Man here with The Modern Man. Uh, good episode this week. Uh, sort of our first ever celebrity interview. Um, as you know, we don't really do famous people on this show. I mean, I talk to people that have had amazing lives and incredible careers, and I guess some of them are a bit famous, but we've we've always steered clear of people that are just promoting something uh, well the guy I'm interviewing this week Rory Reed, uh, he is definitely promoting something he is uh, one of the presenters of the new series of Top Gear which uh, if you've been buried in a cave on Mars for the last six months you won't know is launching relaunching I should say uh, this weekend uh, but uh, I guess you know he's a sort of quasi celebrity he's about to be massively famous but actually at the moment if he walked past you in the street, you wouldn't recognise him. Uh, and that's what we're talking about. We're talking about that in-between state. He knows he is on the cusp of becoming really, really famous around the world. What is that like? Uh, so we've known each other for ages, which I guess is why he said that he would uh, do an interview with us. It's kind of a, an exclusive. He hasn't really been speaking to the press. He got a bit badly burned by some of the tabloids when he was announced in the presenting lineup, And I think that might be one reason why. We talk a bit about that in the interview as well. Uh, so, world-exclusive interview with uh, someone who's going to present one of the world's biggest TV shows coming up today. That's not bad, is it? Uh, before we get going, though, I must say thank you to our Beer Money donors of the week. Joe, Carl, Rich, Gemma, Monique, Lindsay, Danny, Chad, Shingai, Gary, Peter, Hayden, James, Ben and Simon. Uh, Ken in New York as well, who bought us four beers and has asked if he can become the New York ambassador to the show. The truth is, Ken, I'm beginning to slightly lose track. Uh, We're now 18 episodes into The Modern Man. I can't remember uh, whether we've had an episode where I've said someone was a New York ambassador before and I wouldn't want to award it twice. Um, So yes, you can have it, but actually this is kind of a plea really. If anyone out there who is listening to the back catalogue anyway just wants to transcribe who the ambassadors are that I've awarded so far and email them over to me. I'd really appreciate it. Uh, Thank you. Um, Jade, as well, currently living in Bangladesh, bought us some beers. Uh, She says, um, uh, I'm unable to get magazines here in Bangladesh due to the lack of a functioning postal service, so your podcast is perfect. Uh, Thank you, Jade. You can be the ambassador for Bangladesh. I remember we don't have one of those. Um, And also Tony has written to us, Not to ask to be an ambassador, uh, but to explain away the peculiar amount of beer money that he gave us. Uh, As you know, uh, I suggest a monthly contribution of £3.31, the average price of a pint of beer in Britain, to support the show. Uh, But you can actually fill in on the web form whatever amount of money you, you would like to 
give uh, to support the show. Uh, no one's ever written in to explain before, <laughs> but he says, uh, I better explain the weird amount of £6.54. I had one of those prepaid credit cards with some spare cash on it, so I thought donating to a podcast would be a good thing to do. It certainly is, Tony. He says, it was you or Richard Herring, uh, but he's off air at the moment. Uh, Tony, nothing makes me happier that I've now got this money at the expense of Richard Herring. He was one of my comedy heroes when I was a teenager. Uh, now we're we're both reduced to begging for money online. If you would like to support the show as well, please do visit modernman.co.uk and click Beer Money. Thank you. On today's show, you'll learn which song to listen to to get you a job. You will learn how to get a donut into your mouth as quickly as possible. And you'll learn what you could do with an earthworm, but almost definitely shouldn't. Let's go. On this week's Modern Man. It's amazing what lengths they go to to just get any old story. They're literally selling shame. Look at this, isn't it shameful? What's it like becoming a presenter of one of the world's biggest TV shows? And you go round sniffing each T-shirt and then writing down what you think of that scent on a notepad. And Alex Fox sweats the small stuff over a question of sex. But first, it is your essential rundown on what is happening right bloody now. It's the Zeitgeist with Ollie Peart. Hello, Ollie. Hi, Ollie. How are you? I'm I'm all right, thank you. You know the answer to that. I smell a bit. We just discussed it off mic. Don't want to talk about it on the show. Yeah. What's been happening this week? Tetris. Tetris. The movie. No. Yes. Ars Technica. <laughs> Did you say ass? Ars. Anyway, they have uh, reported that uh, a studio has secured $80 million to fund a live-action version of Tetris as a film. A live-action Tetris film. Yeah, it's not as ridiculous, though, as I, I get that you're suggesting. I'm disappointed in your reaction. No, obviously it's completely fucking ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, they, they used to say, no, it's not that ridiculous. No, no, no. It's, it's fucking no, stupid. It's, of course it's stupid. Okay, so let me explain the two reactions. Mm-hmm. It's not as ridiculous as you might expect right. from a branding, if I was a Hollywood producer perspective. Uh, you'd think, yeah, that's a big brand we can sell all around the world. People know what it is. People are schmucks. They'll go and see it. From a viewer's perspective... From a consumer's perspective, mm. do I want to spend my life watching Tetris the movie? Hell no. But why invest? But yeah, but it, it, may, it, because to me it makes no about logical it. sense to That's invest- the logical sense. We are talking about it. People will talk about it. They'll say, can you believe they've made a Tetris movie? That no one will see. Yeah, but no, but people will. It's like they made, what's that shit board game with, that Rihanna did? Battleship. They made what? a film of that. No. They did. I think they've made a Monopoly movie. And, of course, the Lego movie. Now, that sounded pony, but was actually quite good. Yeah, but they're, they're slightly different, though, aren't they? I don't because, think they are, well, no, they are. Well, no, no, Tetris, Tetris has no fucking narrative at all. With Lego, you know, you can create a character out of the little yellow man. Yeah. But, but try and create works. a character out of some shapes. Oh, look, it's Mr. L and Mr. T and Mr... I've just done it. Sounds I've, pretty I've good, written yeah. The, I've written the film. $16 million. I'll take everything back. What are your other trends for the week, Ollie Pitt? The Night Bar. Right. I'll set the scene. You're sat on the sofa. Mm-hmm. You've been chilling out, watching a bit of TV. Yeah. It's getting on a Whinging bit. about the quality of Monday screenwriting. Yeah, of course. Naturally. Yeah. I mean, that's what I spend most of my life doing. Yeah. And then clock strikes ten, half mm-hmm. ten. Mm-hmm. And you're thinking, I'm hungry. Yeah. Introducing the night bar. This is some food that has been developed by a company called Night Food. Oh. have created a snack bar designed oh, to no. cater for late night cravings. Ugh. But this is like when they try... Have you seen that advert for the Weetabix drink? Don't. That's don't, as ridiculous as that. Don't even start me on that, right? That Weetabix drink, yeah. my future 
brother-in-law uh-huh. works for Weetabix. Oh, does he? Yeah. And I didn't know this, but they are Weetabix. It's not like Nestle own Weetabix. They no. are Weetabix. I didn't know yeah. this. I didn't. Did you know that? Everyone in that company loves to take wheat and crush it into small sizes. Yeah, exactly. I went into my co-op and I thought, well, I'll buy that drink, bit of support. I'll, I'll support try my brother-in-law. Yeah. They, they may be an independent company, Olive. They're not exactly struggling. Well, just whatever. It wasn't even in the fridge. It was out. Oh, really? Yeah. Who wants to drink warm milk with Weetabix mashed in, I whatever know. it is? I, I didn't know. even know what it was. Anyway... We're digressing away from the night bar. Yeah. Um, but the point is that we're not digressing because breakfast bars are stupid. Bars that you only eat at nighttime are stupid. The idea of trying to get everyone to eat four or five meals a day rather than the, the things that have, for good reason, become traditional, three meals a day when you're actually hungry, mm. they're all stupid. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, we are in the age of the food fad, right? I mean, the number of food fads that my other half keeps trying to make us do, like juicing is the top one, like juicing. So yeah, but every her ones are healthy, Ollie. You know, you, you were complaining the other week that she wants to feed you kale. That's good for you. Yeah. You, you, you surely must realise that a night bar, whatever you're about to tell me is in it, is definitely not good for you. It's going to be processed crap. Well, yeah, they have like cookie dough and chocolate, right. which is actually quite tasty. But you don't want to eat it that time of night. But their argument is, is that it's a healthy alternative than actually reaching for cookies. I suppose it's a healthier alternative, arguably, although kebabs can be quite healthy, can't they? Just barbecue meat and salad. But it's a healthier alternative than going to your local Sorry, trippy. what? Did you say kebabs can be healthy? I said can be quite. I was quite careful. Yeah, but they're not, are they? No, because people smother them in garlic mayonnaise, wrap them in bread and deep fry the chips. But I'm just saying if, <laughs> if, if you had a traditional piece of barbecue meat and some salad as your dinner at 11pm, mm. that wouldn't be terrible, would it? No. But there is another food trend as well. Just just tie this on quickly. That's uh, sweeping the US. Is it? And that is uh, buy it in the can, ready to drink cold coffee. So they're seeing sales surge of cold coffee. Yeah. I suppose it's a replacement for having Coca Cola. That's what that's the suggestion that like no, people have. People their... don't want to queue for their hot coffee because that's what we're seeing in the apps. Did you see Dunkin' Donuts now have an app? in the US, where mm. there are quite a lot of Dunkin' Donuts, right. where you can check your app to say, you, you want a donut and a coffee, you want it as quickly as possible, it'll tell you which one to go to using Google Maps. In other words, it's like on a plane where they say the nearest exit might be behind you. What's the fastest way I can get a what? fucking donut? <laughs> That's the fastest way <laughs> yeah. you can get a donut. That's it. And it might be walk 200 metres rather than 50, because there's no queue. Well, I suppose that's what all of these things are about, isn't it? So it's people who want a coffee quickly. You can have a cold one at the Coffee at quickly. Yeah. I want a really quick midnight snack. I want a Weetabix drink. I want to die when I'm 50. <laughs> is that a statement? Well, no, no. I'm saying that's, you know, that's what the consumer perhaps is, is saying. Eat healthily, everyone. What else have we got going on this week, Ollie? Fitness. Okay, yeah, links to our previous story, I guess. Bang.fit. Okay, this sounds like something Alex would talk about. Well, yeah, possibly. You think I've got a bit of a fixation with Pornhub, don't you? Yes. But they have released a, a new game <laughs> online. Like, listeners don't, don't even know. No, listen, no the reason the... I'm laughing is the listeners don't even know that almost every week you suggest a story that's come from Pornhub no, and we don't. usually cut it out. It's a game, right? Uh-huh. And it syncs the game on your computer with your, your iPhone, right? Yeah. You strap your... I'm going to demonstrate this now. Okay. You strap your iPhone here. Yeah, he's holding it in front of his tummy. Isn't it? Yeah, exactly. And then on the screen, it gives you like sort of different things to do and you have to keep in time with it. And as you thrust... Right. You score points. I see. So it uses... So just to be clear, uh, you take your mobile phone, you place it against your stomach and by accessing the gyroscope and the accelerometer into your phone software, Pornhub are able to determine the level of fitness you are attaining 
by your pelvic thrusts. Yeah, and and then you follow it on screen, and then you score loads of points and stuff. It's not a sex game, Ollie. It's a wank game. This is something you're playing by yourself, isn't you, it? No, you can play yes, one player, two player, and yeah. their three player they call player. <laughs> nice. <laughs> because I thought that was funny. Yeah. Anyway, but the thing that they're really pushing is that they want you to share it on Facebook and stuff with your mates so you can compete. Yeah. So you can just say, oh, look how many points I, I scored. Well, you've just shared it with thousands of people, Ollie. Well, I, I haven't proud. done it. So because BangFit is competitive, you can play it against other people, I thought that I would uh, look into other unusual competitive games. Okay. Yeah? Yeah. Chess boxing. I know from Answer Me This that's a real sport. No! Really? Sorry, yeah. Have I, you it's seen ridiculous. Any of it? I did once see a YouTube video and it's ridiculous. I want to go and watch a match of that. I think it'll be quite good. So you play a round of chess against an opponent and then in between you stand up and whack each other. Either a knockout or a checkmate wins. Yeah. Either or can win the game, which is just brilliant. Intellectual and violent. Yes. Ferret legging. Hmm. I would say, guess what it is first, as in what I've maybe made up or whatever's <laughs> real. giving me the hint there that it's probably not real. No. No. Ferret legging yeah. is an actual game. Is it? Where you stick a Are ferret Daniel... Are we still doing Daniel... Call My Bluff? I don't know. No, it's absolutely true. Right, okay. You stick a ferret Daniel trousers yeah. and the person who keeps it down there the longest wins. Yeah. Do you want one more? Yeah, well, this will be the fake one then. Turd sculpting. <laughs> <laughs> no, wait. A Japanese game where participants' poos are judged on their artistic qualities. The fact that you've had to justify that with a proper description, whereas the others you just wanked your way through, I think that's <laughs> obviously the one you've made up. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. I've got you down. Well, yeah, but I, it, it's I like the it's, Japanese touch because that made it almost real, didn't it's it? It's believable, it's the isn't kind it? of thing they do. It's so believable. Yeah. If that sport doesn't exist, because it could do. Yeah. I, I might have just made it up and it exists. I, yeah. I invent stuff that already exists all the time. Yeah. I do that all the time. I don't know if yeah. you do that, but I do it all the time. No, no, what you're doing there is you're saying you're ignorant of things that exist. No. <laughs> and then people point that out to you. I once invented written music. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even joking, right? I, I drum... <laughs> Hey, hear me out. I don't want this to drag out. Listen, hear me out. I was drumming. I was drumming and I thought, what you could do, right? (laughs) What you could do. What you could do is you get your pen and then you place a dot. And as your hand moves, which identifies the time difference between each of the dots and each of the dots is a different note. And then after about 10 minutes of doing this, I figured out that I'd actually invented written music. Wow. It's already been invented. You're born out of your own time, aren't you? Yeah, I'm just a genius. Uh, Until next week, Ollie Pitt, thank you. Yeah, thank you, Ollie. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Now, Rory Reid is the editor-in-chief of Recombu Cars. So you might have watched him online reviewing motor cars uh, in a series of videos, but let's be honest, you probably haven't. You probably hadn't heard of Rory until he was announced as one of the seven new presenters of Top Gear, the BBC's massively popular motoring show that is relaunching this Sunday, uh, having lost its trio of presenters following Jeremy Clarkson's infamous fracas uh, with the producer. So, 
who is Rory? Well, he's been a tech journalist and a podcaster indeed. Uh, he's basically the only one of the new presenting lineup that isn't a squillionaire. Uh, he's the first black presenter of Top Gear. And also, he'll be hosting his own BBC Three spin off, Extra Gear. Uh, and it's going to air on BBC America in the States. In other words, he is about to be, this guy I know, is about to be massively famous. How did that happen? <laughs> I went to his studio at Recombu to find out. Somebody texted me and said, Chris Evans is looking for presenters for the new series of Top Gear. And he wants people to submit a 30-second audition tape. And, and they said, are you going to do it? I'm like, I'm on it right now. And I literally wrote my 30-second audition, jumped in this room and um, started to record my audition. I did one version of it. And in that version... It kept going over 30 seconds. It was 32, then it was 31, then it was 30.5. And I didn't want any rules broken that would omit me from the process. Like if they had an automatic filter that said, your audition is 30.19 seconds, we're not going to look at it. So I was determined to get it absolutely right. And in the end, um, I got it down to 30. Um, and then I showed it to my partner and she said, you're wearing a hoodie and a t-shirt. That doesn't look very professional. Record another one, but wear a shirt. And I'm like, okay, all right, let me do that. So I put on a, a black shirt, re-recorded it. I must have did like 11 versions with this shirt. And then she went, yeah, that's the one. But I didn't like it. So in the end, I went, screw it. I'm going to submit the very first take that I did. Did you? Yeah. So the very first version I did in the hoodie and just, just sent it out there. And two weeks later or three weeks later, they called me up and said, yeah, this is whoever from Top Gear. Um, where are Whoever. you? Whoever. Right Look at you. You've already forgotten all the little people. <laughs> no, I know. I know the guy's name. I just don't want to get him in trouble. Yeah. And he said, "Where are you right now?" And I told him I was in like Hammersmith or something. And my heart's like pounding. He's like, "Okay, cool. Um, can you talk?" I was like, "Yeah." He's like, "Great, great. What's your favorite food?" And I'm like, uh, "Steak, I guess." And I'm thinking, "Should I have said steak?" <laughs> no, no, no. Because Clarkson got fired over the whole steak situation. <laughs> and he's like, "What's your favorite sweets?" You know, and then all these weird questions. Like, yeah. And I'm like, what's where, where, where's he going with this? But he's obviously building a kind of profile of as to what kind of person I am. They're really digging deep then. Yeah, yeah. And then um, in the end, he said, look, we like, we like your tape. We'd like to bring you in for a screen test. Uh, so what we're going to do is we're going to send you half a script on Friday. And on the Monday, you come in and perform that half. But with the second half, you live, you you have to write yourself. Mm-hmm. What was it? Was it a car review? Yeah, I had to do a car review on the on the track while driving a car, uh-huh. and I had to do a studio segment talking about a car to the camera in 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 the actual Top Gear studio. I'm glad they tested the talking and driving at the same time thing. That's yeah, important. Quite crucial. Yeah. Quite crucial. It turns <laughs> out I was listening to Eminem "Lose Yourself" the whole weekend, like psyching myself up. Like you've got one shot to do this. Don't blow it. And um, I'm pacing around the house. It's safe to say James May never did that. (laughs) I doubt that. I doubt that. Uh, There's a guy called Tom Ford who was the script editor before he he left to do something else. And he was telling me, look, they're going to be like good cop, bad cop. You know, they're going to make it hard for you. But just just trust in yourself. Just, you know, just, just do what you have to do. Then we actually had to go into the studio and do the segment. And I nailed that segment, that studio segment in one take. Mm -hmm. And the cameramen were like, holy cow he just did it in one take like no one else had done it in, in one take of the whole thousands upon thousands of people it's all your live radio experience with Ollie Mann you see <laughs> yeah yeah exactly comes yeah. into play you are you listening me well. TV commissioners you trained me well Ollie you trained me well <laughs> and then I had to run out onto the onto the track and uh, jump behind the wheel of a Mercedes a C63 estate or an E63 estate one of them big, big powerful car and I had to deliver a script as well 
while driving. And uh, it was something that Tom Ford had told me stuck in my head. He said, when you go out there, A, enjoy it, but B, like drive it like you mean it. Because some people are out there and they're, they're driving really slowly and all that stuff. And he said, that's okay. If you know, if you if you want to drive it slowly and, and you know, take it safe, that's that's okay. But, you know... I took that to mean if you're not like absolutely hooning it out yeah. there, it will be noticed. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, I was having a ball. And I was like, you know, had the, the back end of the car sliding out, you know, like proper having fun with it while delivering the lines. See, again, I, I imagine feeling nervous about that because it's one thing to say, right, it's a track day, go for it. It's yeah. another thing to say, well, here's a car that belongs to, I guess, either Mercedes or the BBC, yeah. uh, but whichever, not you, on yeah. loan to you. I mean, your first ever drive under pressure, you'll probably think, I just really don't want to crash this thing. Yeah, yeah, there was that. Uh, there were two cameras in the car, two cameras pointed at me. There were uh, three cameramen trackside. So every corner I went past, they're, they're watching you drive and how you drive and whether you're executing the moves correctly. Um, and they're analysing your every word, your every inflection, every movement in the car. So it's, a, it's you know, it's and, and everything's analysed afterwards. I had 20 minutes to do my entire thing. I finished it in five. You were going fast. 15 minutes just to play around and have fun. And I radioed in saying, can I, can I keep going? Because I'm done, but can I keep going? And they were like, I didn't hear their response. So I was like, I'll take that as a yes. <laughs> so I just kept pissing about on the track, basically, and kind of sort of narr- narrating what was going on. And I was thinking maybe if they were watching this and thinking... If Rory ends up in a, in a in a foreign country somewhere having to describe his adventures, then um, how would he tell his story? And I was doing that in the car as well. Okay, so, you know, retrospectively, obviously, you look back at that first screen test and you're like, yeah, nailed it. At the time, how did you feel when you were done? Like I'd nailed it. But that's not what happened. They emailed me and said, yeah, you were great. You did nail it. And you're through to the final, I don't know, seven or whatever. Mm. They said, yeah, we'll be in touch and let yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, and then they were in touch about two weeks later by email. And they said, um, sorry, we won't be taking you any further. You, you haven't got through. Mm-hmm. And then I was, I, my heart sank at that moment. But um, did you think at that point, well, fair enough. There must be, there must be someone better than absolutely me. Absolutely not. No, this absolutely. is an injustice. No, yeah, completely. I'm yeah. the right man and they I made felt, a mistake. I, I felt wronged. So what I did... What rap song were you listening to at that point? Um, <laughs> well, this is, the, this is the thing. I went and made my own rap song. This is at, this at that point, point. At that point. You're kidding. I decided for a couple of reasons. One, to show them that they'd made a mistake. And two, to prove to myself that I still had what it took. I went away and I wrote uh, a rap about a Rolls Royce. And, I, <laughs> and, and this, this video is, is it's out on YouTube. You can watch it. It's the Rolls Royce Ghost um, rap review, basically. And it's just me rapping about the car um, from a very kind of emotional standpoint, beautiful, introspective music, um, sexy visuals, and me just sort of like, almost like a love song to the car. The cabin is floor to ceiling pimping. The ceiling's pimped in optical fibers, a fiber optic environment designed with lights that ignite to mimic the sky at night. There's Orion's knife, three stars in his waistband. This car's not for a waste, man. Yeah, it's materialistic. Especially when you consider the materials in this. About 16 cows worth of white leather. Straight from Fendi himself. That fashion house that did fashion proud when they splashed it round. So emailed it to them and said, um, when you have a chance, maybe watch this. <laughs> the next day, they emailed, they called me and said, uh, we'd like to offer you the job. You're kidding. Yeah, seriously. So that was me saying... Look, you got it. You got it wrong, and I'm going to prove to you that you got it wrong. And if you don't, and even if you don't believe me, I'm going to prove to myself that you got it wrong. 
so I can move forward. It was like a moment, it was meant to be a moment of closure, that particular video, but it ended up possibly sealing my place in the show. Yeah. Were there always going to be seven presenters? It's a lot. Maybe they just decided to squeeze you in. Maybe they did. Maybe they did. There was no finite number of people that they were were aiming for. It might have been Chris Evans and one other person. It might have been Chris and two, Chris and three, Chris and four, whatever. Maybe they had chosen their final lineup and said, this guy can bring something to the table. Did your partner know? Did your children know? Yeah, yeah, my partner knew. My children are too young to to know what's going on, really. The thing is, I didn't really know, other other than the verbal agreement, the verbal offer. You know, the the woman that I was dealing with, Lisa Clark, uh, she left. She she left the BBC. She was my main contact. So when she left, and the first I heard about that was in the newspaper, I'm like, what's going to happen to me? And every decision is poured over by the tabloids, isn't it? That was presented as her falling out with Chris Evans. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was like, what, what's going to happen next? Because yeah. the person championing me is, is not here anymore. So am I, does this mean I'm not going to be part of it? But no, it, it was obviously a, a deeper decision than that. And I ended up being part of the team. I know that your mates were excited and your family were excited because I'm a friend of yours on Facebook. So I know that. Mm. What about the public reaction? Because it's such a huge thing. What happened after it was announced? The first thing that happened was the newspapers. So I was, I was watching the websites of various newspapers and they, they, were, they were writing stories, some negative. There's a particular photograph of me holding two shotguns with a cigarette in my mouth, which they tried to imply was, a, was marijuana and tried to paint me as a gun-toting, I don't know, lunatic? Who knows? But yeah, there was some, some negative spin on that photo. Why is there a photo of you posing with two Uzi's? <laughs> <laughs> Why does I, that exist? I'm a gun-toting lunatic. <laughs> no, uh, it's because I went on a team-building day it was the end of the year. We wanted to have some fun, let off some steam. And we were clay pigeon shooting and everyone was taking pictures with the rifles. Me being me, I wanted two rifles and someone was smoking a cigarette. So I was like, yeah, let me get that cigarette and just took a picture. Right. It's a public photo. It was my profile picture. Publicly it's it's a playful, I'm a wannabe gangster joke. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. And, but um, presumably the context that these newspaper websites were using it in was more like, look who they've chosen to be nearly yeah, presented. Yeah, yeah, Scandalous. Exactly. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And what was interesting was on their Facebook pages, the comments under that by the public, one of them was like, what an idiot. Did he think no one would find out? <laughs> I'm like, find out what? Like, yeah. it's it's... It's a public picture I took deliberately as a laugh. Yeah. It's not, I'm not actually robbing a bank. The day after that, all the newspapers ran with, the, with those stories. I was front page of, a, of one or two newspapers and pretty much inside all of them in, in some capacity. And that was really hard to wrap my head around because here I am coming from obscurity. You know, I've got fans on YouTube, you know, tens of thousands, but it's, it's such a small number in, in YouTube land. Some yeah. people have millions upon millions. But being thrust into a place where people are writing about you and, and casting you as some particular character that, that you're not, it was, it was quite uncomfortable. And what made it more uncomfortable was that I had to actually do my first film that day. So the day after they announced it, I had to fly out to Scotland to, to do my first, uh, my first VT for the show. So I had to sort of block everything out. Um, I was conscious of the newspapers knocking on family members' doors, um, do they do that? What were they looking for? I just, they just want... They just Mark. Want, just, just, who knows? A- anything was, was what they said. Anything. One Why pe- didn't they knock on my door? I'd have happily told <laughs> a story about you. Worked with you for three years. Yes, there you go. Um, they were, Yeah, they went up to my, my partner's parents' house. They live in the northeast, Northumberland. They go, have you got anything on Rory? Anything at all? And they're like, no, like, piss off. And they're like, look, you can do it anonymously. Like, give us something anonymously and we'll pay you. It's like, you know, what, it's amazing what lengths they go to 
to just get any old story. They're literally selling shame. They're like, look at this, isn't it shameful? And that's that's kind of what they lead they lead with. And from that point of view, have you been back retrospectively through old tweets, through old YouTube videos that you posted up and thought, oh, you know, I'm I, not. There's nothing wrong with this, yeah. but I better take it down because yeah. this is going to be a thing. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I took down a lot of pictures of my kids off Instagram. Yeah, tweets not so much. Primarily, I've, I've kind of taken down off Facebook, locked down a few of the settings to make sure that people who I'm not that familiar with, but I'm friends with, can't see certain things. Yeah. Um, there's still plenty more of that to do because I'm getting so many friend requests now. It's ridiculous. I had like 300 friend requests in the space of a week afterwards from people who vaguely knew me or knew me through a friend or whatever. And I'm like... You didn't care before. Yeah. <laughs> this is it. So you get people coming back out the woodwork. You're yeah. like, hey, remember me from 20 years ago? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, they're all still pending. Most of them are pending until I, I decide who is genuine and who's not genuine. There, there is a friend of mine. She knows somebody at, at the tabloids. She knows people at the tabloids. The tabloids are texting her, begging for dirt as well. There's a, there's a thing, there's a phenomenon where you know you have information and, and someone wants information, but you want to show that you have this information that they want, this power, and you end up kind of drip feeding that power, that, that information to show that, you know, you're, you're in the know somehow. So what, what ended up happening was she ended up selling a story to the papers, a nonsense story about me loving kittens, not guns. And within that story is like, oh, he's a family man. He's not, he's, not a, he's not a gun-toting rude boy or any of this. But that disappointed me as well because I'd said to her specifically, don't talk to the papers at all. Hmm. But she ended up going to them and, and saying, you know, I'm not going to tell you anything, but he's, you know, he's like this or he's like that. And that ended up being in, in, in the mirror. You know, that, that was a disappointing moment for me. And I just, I'm trying to um, come to terms with that. And, and I'm wondering how many other people who, who know me and have been approached have the intention not to share their stories, but end up doing so out of a, out of a oh, look at me. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm in a position of power. Yeah, I know, Rory. I can tell you stuff, but I yeah. won't accept this thing. Well, the difficulty, of course, is that, you know, tabloid journalists, despite their many faults, are ordinary people too. They go for drinks with people and over a pint, someone says, oh, yeah, I worked with Rory Reid years ago. Yeah. He said this thing. Yeah, yeah. All that stuff is now fair game as a story, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, definitely, definitely. So um, yeah, there'll be more of that. There will be more of that. Yeah. And how do you prepare yourself for that? You don't, you know, I haven't done anything really stupid in my life. But like, like anyone, you, you know, you, you live, a, if you live a, a normal life, you end up doing things in certain situations where you think back and you think that can be twisted in, in, in a particular way. I'll tell you, there's a very recent story. I was on a, a, a car launch and I ended up in, uh, in, a, in a hotel room with one of the car manufacturer representatives and three other journalists we're all just listening to music and having a drink in, in this in this person's room and I lay back on the bed for a minute and I closed my eyes for a second and someone had taken a picture of me and then showed me the picture and it looked like I'd passed out on this bed mm. and I immediately thought oh my that could end up in a newspaper someday mm. like Rory Reed passed out on a bed at 4am or whatever and I'm, so now I have to kind of steal myself for past stories which might be twisted in a particular way and future stories that might be twisted in a particular way. So I have to carry myself in a very different way now, even around people that I trust. I can't do certain things. I've always got to be like on my game about everything, which is which is um, disappointing, but you know, it's the nature of the beast. And socially, you were talking about how, you know, when you're out, even with people you know, you've got to try and watch yourself and what you're saying. What are the words in your head keeping you in check? <laughs> Don't get naked. It's mostly uh, 
don't get drunk. I've stopped drinking. I've stopped drinking for the most part for a couple of reasons. One is uh, I work almost constantly. And if there's any nugget of a hangover in my system, I don't think I'm performing at 100% and I don't feel 100%. You probably don't want to be driving at 140 miles an hour. There you go, that too. And, uh, and also I want to enjoy it. I don't want to be thinking, oh God, I feel shit. You know, so, so drinking, that had to go. And within that, you end up not finding yourself in certain situations. And, and don't ever do eeny, meeny, miny, mo and be filmed doing it. Yeah, That's yeah, yeah. That's a good yeah, tip as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> I've learned from that. Okay, so you're flying all over the world now, suddenly filming for Top Gear. Uh, what's that like? What's it like being part of one of the biggest TV shows in the world? It's surreal, very surreal. You know, meeting people on the street. So I'll be in a car. In front of me, there'll be a camera crew. When you say a car, you're in like a Tesla or a Ferrari, right? Yeah, I'm in something. You're not in a nice. Mondeo. Yeah, I'm in something. I'm in something spectacular. I'm just trying to paint a picture with words here. But <laughs> on top of that, you've got like a team of people who are like, you know, you are the, the center of attention for them. They're pointing cameras at you. They're talking in walkie-talkies at you. You know, you become this kind of beacon for people. And all around you, people notice that. And they, they pull out their camera phones and start taking pictures and pointing and smiling. And they recognize you too, because within that context, you are the guy off Top Gear. Yeah. yeah, you know that because the show hasn't aired yet, probably if you just walked down that same street, they wouldn't look twice they at you. They wouldn't care. Yeah, they wouldn't care. No. But in the future, they will. In the future, you know, they'll yeah. know who you are as the guy off Top Gear all yeah. the time. That's really unsettling. It's like having gone for a doctor's appointment to have some sort of test for a disease and you're waiting for the doctor to come back with the results. It's, it's that exact feeling. It's, it's like, have I got some sort of weird tropical illness that's going to kill me? That's, that's the exact feeling I have right now. It's really weird, really unsettling. And at the same time, I'm, I'm having to kind of work through this this feeling and get on with my normal life, but also like working really, really fucking hard, like getting up at 4 a.m., finishing after midnight, sleeping for a couple hours and then going back at it with this anticipation on top of it. It's a very, very surreal feeling. Have you been promised a steak at any point and did the uh, runner deliver it to you? <laughs> no, I haven't been promised a steak. I told them when I joined that I liked Haribo, and um, usually when I go in, there's there's packs of Haribo. Good, they're so they're so nice. They're really good. The lesson. Uh, but the the dinner arrangements are they can be atrocious. When we're at the race at the Top Gear test track, the catering is great. When we're on the road, we eat when we can basically because the the important thing is to get the footage. So we're not going to book a restaurant. We're we're on the road. We're driving around, and we'll we'll eat when we can. The, the the last meal I had in New York when we were shooting the there's a Tesla we were shooting over there. They they went off and got Chinese. We were eating lukewarm chow mein in literally in a gutter, like standing <laughs> standing between two cars, eating like really crappy chow mein. And we had twenty minutes to eat before we had to get back on the road because it's like after midnight and we, we needed we needed the shots. So you have some sympathy for a curly haired presenter who wants his steak. I yeah. understand his predicament. You know, he want he wanted he wanted food. But the food's not always not always there and not always great. Some of the cameramen when when they're out filming on location, they might not make it back to the hotel in time for the kitchen to be open. So sometimes they'll pre-order a bunch of uh, pizza, have it delivered to the hotel. By the time they get there, it's like two hours later and it's freezing cold. But what what else are you going to do? Like not make the film. The film is is the most important thing, and it will it will get made and it will get made to a high quality. And if anything gets in the way, even food, then you know things will suffer. So that that can't happen.
Well, folks, we are only a few short steps away from our weekly trip down the foxhole. Alex Fox will be here next. But first, a word from our sponsors. Uh, once again, big thanks to Baldhead Liberation Front. .com. It's your one-stop shop for all your product needs. Ben Smalley is with me again, the founder of the website. Ben, you are beautifully bald. <laughs> Thanks, Ollie. So how old were you when you decided, right, I'm just going to shave it all off. I'm just going to accept the fact this ain't coming back. Tried to cling on to it for about two or three years, but I think I was 21 by the point where I just thought, you know, I, I remember the time going into the into the barbers and thinking, you know, this is probably the last time I'm going to be able to get a, a like a proper haircut done in a style. It's just going to be shorter and shorter from here on in. Basically, getting rid of what little hair I had left really was a major boost to the confidence because you're not trying to hide it anymore. It's, you're not you're not avoiding going swimming, diving, in, you know, if you're on holiday, diving in the swimming pool in front of everybody because you're going to come back out and it's going to be blatantly obvious that you've got a big hole in your hair. It's you know, it, it it's liberating and and that. That's partly where the name came from. And so what are the kinds of products that you sell? Is it a case of moisturisers, sun oils? All of the above. Uh, so we've got razors out there specialised for people who, like me, love the gadgets and want something a bit different. We've got the old-style barber's razor that we've got imported from a little homegrown manufacturer over in the States called Sir Hair. They also make a range of different shaving oils, the different smells, you know, there's T-shirts, there's mugs. There's all, all sorts coming out, and they'll be being launched in the next week or so. And Ben, if people want to check out your website once again, what's the address? It's boldheadliberationfront.com. Thanks. Right, let's get sexy, let's get sweaty, let's get filthy, let's get entirely consensual with the foxhole. Alex Fox is here. Hello, Alex. Welcome within my beautiful folds. <laughs> and the listeners at home. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think they were already secreted within my folds as it stood. There's room for thousands. Oh, yes. Uh, I understand that you went to bed at 5.30 in the morning on Sunday. Why was that? Uh, some friends of mine, including the lovely Jem Kearney, were uh, holding an event called The Sleepover, and unfortunately one of the comedians they'd booked pulled out at the last minute, not in a contraceptive sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they phoned me up. I was just on my way back from a wedding and said, Alex, can you possibly come and do a very last-minute sex workshop. And so I found myself chatting to 25 very inebriated women in this massive royal suite of the hotel uh, about how to use earthworms for sexual pleasure. Earthworms? I did this impromptu Q&A about my whole career, and someone asked me what's the weirdest fetish that I've ever heard of. Back when I worked at Bizarre magazine, I used to get regular letters and photographs from a gentleman who was really into using things from his garden and things from the natural world to pleasure himself with. Mm -hmm. And he discovered that he could uh, wash the soil off earthworms that he dug up in his backyard, put them in the freezer so they'd set rigid insert them into his pee hole, no. like, like post them down his down no. his pee pipe, and then as the warmth of his body brought them up out of their uh, their chilled state, the earthworms would would uh, come back to consciousness and would wriggle they? around. I yeah, thought you were going to say they were dead. It. No, no. Apparent. Well, according to his letters, right, they would go into some kind of hibernation state in his freezer and then be re- reawoken by the the body heat of his penis. I'm not sure that's that. legal. Would it, it sounds like animal cruelty to yeah, me. Yeah. It might, the RSPCA could probably consult on this say. one. Let's move on. Okay. Uh, we've had this question uh, from a man who's chosen to remain anonymous. He says, I'm a gay man in his early 20s, and I've realised over the past few years that I am somewhat aroused by the smell of sweat. Is this normal? I'm not sure how I feel about it. My partner would definitely not be into it if I raised it with him. How common is this? Sweat fetish. 
it's perfectly normal and in fact really common to be attracted to the smell of sweat. Sweat contains chemical compounds known as pheromones, which are designed specifically to attract one member of of an animal species to another. Mm. Uh, In fact, it is posited that you will be attracted to the the pheromone smell of somebody whose immune system is complementary to yours Mm -hmm. so that were you to mate and have children, uh, they would have a more comprehensive immune system and thus thus be more resistant to disease. Okay, so why doesn't Giorgio Armani aftershave smell of BO? You can get uh, pheromone perfumes. You can get colognes that, that smell of armpit. Yeah, but <laughs> I think it's fair to say they're less popular, aren't they, than perhaps the more mainstream brands. Elements of perfumes are argued to potentially echo those natural bodily odours that we do produce. It's just mm-hmm. that, that when those particular notes are picked out and combined in other scents, they smell, they smell differently to us, ostensibly. There was a study actually run by the University of California that uh, showed the presence of uh, a, chem- a compound called, now I'm going to have to be careful on how I pronounce this, androstadionones. Androstadionones are these chemical compounds that behave like pheromones, which have been found present in sweat, and they actually incite a measurable physical reaction in the person who's doing the smelling. Uh, they speed up their uh, their pulse rate, they raise their blood pressure, they make their heart beat faster, and they actually prompt people when they're sniffed to produce more of the stress hormone cortisol. So they make, they, in, in essence, they make people excited. My point is, there is a chemical reason why our anonymous gentleman feels excited by the smell of sweat. And it's nothing to be ashamed of, although I can understand why raising that with your partner can be uh, a little bit challenging. I'm interested in the fact that he says his partner definitely wouldn't be into it. Well, that seems to suggest to me that what he wants to do is actually stick his nose right up his partner's something, and that would be... Uh, a suggestion that might be off-putting to the man who is sweating. When you say up his partner's something, well, I don't what know. do you I mean? Because well, it know. sounds a lot like you're suggesting up his partner's bum, yeah, which to be. me suggests that you're, you're inferring that you have a sweaty ass, Ollie. How did we get onto my sweaty <laughs> bum hole? I'm just saying, I, I could have said armpit, but then as I was saying, I thought, well, no, it could be pubis, could be bum hole. The point is he doesn't want to say to his partner, let me sniff your whatever. That's well, what he finds awkward. Well, there are ways that he could um, suggest this to his partner that are a little bit more perhaps in his in his fella's comfort zone. Mm. For example, saying, "Oh, I love the way your t-shirt smells when you've when you've when you've um, slept in it." I've definitely texted partners in the past when they've been away from me and gone, "Oh, I'm wearing your t-shirt in bed because it's comforting and it smells of you," and they haven't gone, "Ooh, you total minger! It reeks of my armpits." Yes, but if you or said my to bum them, hole. yes, but if you said to them oh, I want you to come home so I can give you a blowjob and I definitely don't want you to have a shower first, that would feel weird then, wouldn't it? It's a different kind of sweat, isn't it? What you're talking about is a residual sweat that maybe isn't directly out the armpit, but is a pheromone that comes off your body generally. When you say specifically, I like dirty sweat, you can see why someone feels awkward admitting to that. There's plenty of people who still are very open about the fact that really dirty, filthy sweat in copious bucketfuls turns them on. And as ever, what I'm learning from the foxhole week on week is that if you think you're doing something quite niche, actually, it turns out there are thousands of people online who will share this with you. 
can you go to a group where you all sniff each other or something? Yes, you can. Of there course are actually you can. pheromone dating parties. Yep. You heard about this? No. They require you to wear um, a plain t-shirt. I think for three days. I think they might ask you to sleep in it. Actually, then you you bring it with you to these this pheromone dating party in in a bag. They're all just labelled with numbers and you go round sniffing each T-shirt and then writing down what you think of that scent on a notepad. Mm. At the end, the ones that you thought smelled attractive to you, they will reveal um, who, who the person behind that particular odour was and you get to go <laughs> on a date with them. I can see why the TV format never worked out. Something you really need to be in the room to experience, isn't it? Well, wait for smell vision It might happen. I- I'm sure this chap is. Maybe that is the solution to his problem. Uh, if you have a similar question you would like to run past our love guru, Alex Fox, she's here every week, like a bad smell. Uh, Alex, what do people need to do? Head over to our website, which is modernman, spelt M-A-N-N.co.uk, and click on feedback to send me a question. Smell you later. Well, that's nearly it for this week. Before this week's song, I just need to formally announce that The Modern Man now has a Belgian ambassador. It is Seidelman. Uh, If you would like to become an international ambassador for the show, all you need to do is go to iTunes in your home country and post us a review. We are at itunes.com slash M-A-N-N. Seidelman, thank you for your five-star review. And you have my reassurance, you remain Belgian ambassador, even in the case of Brexit. Uh, Music now, our theme is by Django Django from their debut album. And, well, somewhere in an alternate reality, Ollie Peart may have devised our musical notation system, but could it have been used to create something as beautiful as this? Uh, it's by Glass Animals. It's called Life Itself. Go and buy it. I'm Ollie Mann, the producer Matt Hill, and we'll see you next Tuesday. Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the ageing process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip (laughs) off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.